Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 247, brought to you by Looking.com. Our good friends at Bud Light, drink them if you got them. Sid Golden here with the Duck Kirk Balls. And man, we are joined by MLB baseball journalism royalty Richard Justice. He worked nine years for MLB.com, and now he works for Texas Monthly and Duck. He once defended you against a vicious um, journalistic <laughs> assault from one Gary Cartwright. Rest <laughs> in, well, just rest. Richard uh, Justice, how are you today? I'm good. You know that uh, this year is the 50th anniversary of me meeting Kirk. You know how you say he's been going on for 20 years, 30 years? Kirk and I this year have known each other 50 years. Oh my How about God. that? Wow. We were in the uh, well, same daycare. We were in the same daycare. Cedric. Right. See, yeah, that's up. right. Seems like only yesterday. All right, since you bring it up, give give me your, your two most favorite horrible memories of Kurt. <laughs> oh, they were all, they were all uh, the tablet. <laughs> and when I worked for the Austin Citizen, they didn't have any money. Kirk would let me stay in his hotel room on the road. But those tablets, we would look at the tablet with all those little, do you still write a red ink? Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and he didn't them. take traditional notes. They were like cloud cloud covers <laughs> of, of notes. Notes here, notes here. And he would cross off each one, cross off each one. And um, hadn't changed. I was going to say, quit acting like, quit, quit saying that in the past tense. He still does that. <laughs> and I said to, I said to him, Kirk, uh, Kirk, uh, you don't uh, like when we I was at the American States when we went, went to this place beads every night for dinner. And I said, Kirk, you just don't like spicy food. And, and he goes, we had meatloaf just the other night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were, that's the kind of thing I would remember. But Kirk would not remember. Oh, my God. He's going to chase. Yeah, we, played, we, had, we had vicious putt putt games in back in the day. Well, those were those real uh, extensive, gruesome summer days where we'd work for two hours and go play putt putt. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I missed you know. out. I missed you did. out. You did. Well, I got to ask you, and people were like, well, what's this Gary Cartwright thing? I mean, before we get to the MLB Hall of Fame, uh, Gary Cartwright uh, unleashed, uh, unleashed a blistering uh, missive on the death of good sports writing in Texas about 50, well, maybe like 15 years ago. Uh, he's passed on, but he's a longtime sports writer, sports columnist. And then it, uh, there was a line that said, I always thought that Kirk Bowles was the most boring sports columnist I ever read <laughs> until I read Cedric Golden. And that was that was my uh, just my little uh, brush with fame. In Texas and my mama read that. And so Richard, <laughs> uh, maybe a few weeks later, wrote a guest column where he just 
he he murdered he murdered Gary Cartwright and 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 asked him about pay, basically payola. Richard, what do you remember about that? I remember that when I read it, my head blew up because the sports writers that I know that we all know the best, you guys, Kevin Sherrington, Kim Cowishaw, what do they do? They go to games, they ask questions, they sit down and they write something. And if there's news, they try to put it in a context or frame it. They try to get the quotes right. They try to get the facts right. And I've always thought that Gary Cartwright came from an era where, you know, you could fudge the quotes, you know, did, did that, those guys actually say all those things? They may have, but I just thought for somebody in the business who knows how hard the business is to question somebody else's professionalism and talent and all that was so far outside the line. I started typing and I couldn't stop. And I ended up sending it. Evan Smith got it, who's the, the te- editor of the Texas Tribune now. And he sent some notes that basically said, hey, just saying a letter to the editor, pal. And, and he ran every word of it. But uh, I was just infuriated that it, it seemed like cheap shots. Well, now, if he'd taken it at Kevin Sherrington, I'd have been fine with that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, another friend of the show. And, and Senator yeah. Biden did a video. We did a video poking fun at ourselves. So we did have fun with it. So I'll, I'll but, send it to you, Richard. It's still on YouTube. People love it. <laughs> but our uh, listeners and, don't want to talk about us. We want to talk about our guests. And uh, big news in baseball, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, yet again on the outside looking in at the uh, – Baseball National Hall of Fame did not get the required 75% of vote. You've been a voter since, I don't know, was was Babe Ruth the, Babe Ruth the first one you put in? You know, and he was not unanimous either. I went to talk to a guy that – Tom Seaver didn't get like eight votes. And I knew a guy that didn't vote for Seaver, and I said, buddy, I, I don't know where you're sitting your bar, but if Tom Seaver doesn't clear the bar, you might want to readjust how you're evaluating players. Um yeah, I think this is an inflection point for Clemens and Bonds in that 10 years on the ballot and now they're off. And it just, I wrote a piece for Texas Monthly, it's posting today. It's infuriating to me. Look, I understand. You have to understand the context of their careers. It was the wild, wild west of steroids. And a lot of us didn't know what was going on because weightlifting had been taboo. You know, what I saw in the Oakland A's clubhouse was guys paying more attention to nutrition and weightlifting, which had never been done before. And they got bigger and hit a lot of home runs and all that. I didn't know that there was something chemical going on. But in the terms, if you look at Roger Clemens, his 14 years in Boston, that's that's borderline Hall of Fame right there. And when Barry Bonds added all the muscle, he had 494 career home runs at a time when 500 got you in. But what I wrote about mainly was, look, you can define people by numbers and say it's all black and white. But the Roger Clemens I knew, by the time he got to Houston in 2004, he was one of the great ambassadors of the game that I've ever been around. The guy got it more than anybody ever got it. And the point is, like, we don't, we don't question that he was a great – that he was one of the five best pitchers of all time. We don't question that. Seven Cy Young, two more than anybody else has ever won. That's all right there in black and white you can see. But the guy I knew – was an unbelievably kind. One night in Lexington, Kentucky, he hits a kid in a rehab game. I think it was one of those years when he was, you know, uh, had showed up late and all that. Right. He hits a kid. I go into the clubhouse during the game in Lexington, 
that's the kid. Hey, how does it feel to be hit by a future Hall of Famer? I'm in there a little bit talking to the guy, and in walks Roger Clemens. And by the, by, by the time he leaves, he has asked the guy, are you okay? He had, he had huddled with the players on the team. He agreed to stay the next day and coach the pitchers on the team on how to go through bullpen sessions and, and all of that. There was a kid here at a junior college in the Houston area, jumped into the Comel River, I believe, about 20 years ago, less than that. And he was, a, a, and he was paralyzed from the neck down, broke his neck. And a scout called me and said, I need to get Roger Clements on the phone. And it turned out he goes, this kid's going to need a van right now. He needs, he needs somebody in the world to show he cares for him. I need to get Roger Clements on the phone. He goes, because I knew Roger would either use his connections to get the kid a van or write a check for the van. He goes, I never know what happened. I talked to Roger. The next thing I know, there's a van in the kid's driveway. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, I got, a, I got a hundred stories like that of little acts of kindness that he did. You know, when he would hit a milestone and be autographing balls, he always included the lower people on the rung, the people who washed his uniform, the people who raked the field and the lower level PR staffers. He included, he understood what it, what he meant to people in the game. And also by the time he got to Houston, he, he was throwing 89 to 91. Uh, and uh, he would be, Phil Garner told me there were multiple games where he's like in the first or second inning, the bases are loaded. He's about to get knocked out and Phil's on the top step going, I am not going to let Roger Clemens embarrass himself. He works out of it. He pitches around this guy, walks another guy. The next thing you know, seven innings, two earned runs, eight strikeouts. He just did it with grit and guile. And he was he mean? He was mean as hell. There was yeah. a guy at second base one one after one night. He was Roger was pretty sure the guy was flashing signs, stealing signs. And Roger just stepped off the mound and looked back at the guy at second and pointed to his head. Meaning <laughs> translation being at some Excellent. point you're gonna have to step back at home play. <laughs> and uh I have no qualms. <laughs> about throwing one right at your head if you keep doing that. Not another sign was flashed. <laughs> well, well, you, well, you see the total picture. And uh, and we were talking to you earlier before we started taping about you being a Hall of Fame voter. And uh, and you have been since, we, we figured, sometimes since the 80s, right? Right, right. <clears throat> but you chose not to vote this year. You're an eligible voter. Can you explain why you chose not to vote this year? Well, I left MLB uh, in December of 2020. And it just got to be too much. Steroids have added a layer uh, to the voting that just infuriates me. You have to understand, steroids, what happened? What was the impact steroids had on the game? They saved the game. You can make the case that they saved the game. Absolutely. No question. Now, now some of it we didn't comprehend. I didn't comprehend what it was doing for Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. I didn't get all of that. But I did understand that baseball – after the players' owners almost killed the sport in 94 by canceling the World Series in 94 and then replacement players in 95. Now, Ripken's come back in 96. Yeah. But it was the McGuire-Sosa, this beautiful chase mm-hmm. of the Roger Maris record. And it was fueled by steroids. Steroids right. gave baseball new life. It packed the ballparks. It made it interesting. And, I, you know, people say, you covered for those guys. I wrote things now when I was at the I was at the Washington Post at the time that I'd be embarrassed to, to go back and, and, and read now because I just didn't understand the context of steroids. But everybody was looking the other way. And, Kirk, there's a Hall of Famer that one spring, it was the spring, they didn't test 
until 2003. If that's not looking the other way, I don't know what is. And, uh, and, uh, I, I asked, uh, in the two, I think it was 2003 or 2004. It's a hall of famer. I said to a club official, I pointed at a player. I said, did he get off steroids over the, off, over the winter, like these other guys? And he guy looks at me and goes, no, he didn't care enough to use them. That's, that's the, that's the landscape they were, they were in and everybody was doing, I mean, I think, I don't want to say everybody was doing something, but a lot of people were doing it. And we, as you guys know, I guarantee you there are steroid users in the Hall of Fame. So if the Hall of Fame doesn't want steroid users in the Hall of Fame, I'm fine with that. I, I'm fine. Just show me the ballot mm-hmm. and show me the guys that use steroids. Just tell me. Because right. you can't look at a ballot now and not and know who did and who didn't. So what do we do? We, we do a guessing game. We do a guessing game. Or, and we, so the guys that got away with it, we give them, we bestow on them the highest honor in the game. And the guys that got caught, we treat them like Bonnie and Clyde. I, mm-hmm. I mean, like in, in, in the case of Bonds and Clemens, you know, like I, I'm very biased. I mean, I knew Barry a little bit and he could be a jerk, but and Ray Roger in, in the earlier in his career could be a jerk. But you tell me, like, if you want a guy on your team, those two guys you want on their, your team. And, and I mean, especially because what Roger morphed into in the later years of his career. Best there ever was. And I'm going to tell you, um, I don't blame you one bit for not voting. Um, it's tough. I'm watching MLB on Tuesday night and, and Rob Parker, um, who's a <laughs> friend of mine, uh, yeah, longtime mine Detroit, uh, sports writer, uh, Rob came on there and, and was talking about his um, his vote and and they put it up on on the on the screen. He voted mm-hmm. Bonds, Clemens, Chilling, Sheffield. They had X's <laughs> by each one because those guys didn't get in. And and you're telling me um, that that it's okay for you to allow guys that I believe in my heart did it. And the one thing I'm going to ask you, Richard, that never gets talked about, and Kirk and I both writing on this as well. How do pitchers not named Clemens and Schilling avoid avoid uh, the scrutiny, the steroid scrutiny? Are you telling me that the, the batters were the only guys using that stuff? What about a Hall of Famers that I'm not calling any names because it's sensitive. It's sensitive. But I, I know of a Hall of Famer who, who lost his fastball at like 32. But by 38 or 39, uh, he's back up to the 99 and 100. <laughs> and it's not supposed to work that way. Willie Mays said it best. I remember when when you got old, you got worse, not better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the other thing is, Luke Scott told me this one time. He's a, an outfielder, had a pretty good career. He goes, I show up at spring training, and I've done my usual thing. And the guy six lockers down has put on 20 pounds of muscle, and you guys are writing about how great he is. now. You guys know what he did. I know what he did. And he knows that we all know what he did. And yet everybody looks the other way, looks, looks the other way on that. Brad Ospis told me one time, he goes, you know, we put in players in a very tough uh, ethical quandary in that nobody's testing. It's, there's unspoken. It's going to be okay. But you take a guy that's at the bottom of the roster, the 24th, 25th, 26th guy on the roster, He's got a wife and kid back home. He got a parade when he left town. He's the man of the hour. And now 
he's right on the border. And he can do this one thing and never get caught and get a contract and get one contract that's going to set him for life or, you know, catapult him into the next chapter of his life. He goes, that is one hell of an ethical uh, quandary to, to, to put, to put, to put guys in Steve Finley, you guys, you know, played, played for the Orioles, the Padres and the uh, Astros. Steve Finley told me, he goes, here's the deal. Like I'm hitting the same number of home runs every year. All of a sudden you guys are coming around asking, Hey, what's wrong, Finn? You're not uh, doing it anymore. I'm hitting the same number. I'm <laughs> training the same way. And all of a sudden, guys that were hitting 20 are hitting 35, and I'm still hitting my 25. <laughs> and, that's, and, that, and that's all true. And you can't tell me. I mean, I, I was a while getting to the larger impact. You can't tell me that people didn't look the other way because it was good for the financials of the game. Right. Well, Charles Barkley said it years ago. If if I needed to do steroids to save my career, if I'm a triple A guy and I'm not and I'm not I'm not going to make it because I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. And I'm telling you, guys like that I knew, like Frank Robinson. I mean, at various times they wouldn't say they would have done it, but they came right up to the border, and you know they would have done it. And as fans, what do we want? We want players that care about performing and care about winning. Performance. So now we have these guys that we say, oh, you're not supposed to care that much. We don't care that much. But, you know, I, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really tainted the game. It's tainted the Hall of Fame. And I, I think Jim Bowden tweeted this today that it should be, the Hall of Fame should be embarrassed. You got two of the five, Bonds and Clemens are top five players in, at their position, top 10, certainly. Clearly. And they're not in the, they're not in the Hall of Fame. And it's, I think Jason Sark wrote, just put it on the plaque. Put what put whatever you want on the plaque. Exactly. But you can't tell the story of baseball. You certainly can't tell the story of this era, of this generation, without having those guys in. And what I tried to write for Texas Monthly is, I knew Clemens. I mean, I know the guy. And he didn't like some of the things I wrote about steroids. But I've had a complete transformation in my thinking. Like, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Well, you're right. You, you can't tell the story of baseball without those two. I mean, uh, I was lucky enough to cover Roger in, in college at UT, cover Barry Bonds when he was a skinny outfielder for Arizona State, and just two dynamic athletes, personalities, all of that. And then, yeah, and I would like – and if, yeah. you, if you go up there on Sunday, when those guys come out in Cooperstown on Sunday, when the guys come out, I defy one of those Hall of Famers. Willie, you know, Hank Aaron's not here anymore. Frank's not here anymore. But tell me, Tony Gwynn, uh, he's not here anymore either, but to tell me Barry Bonds doesn't belong up here, Roger Clemens don't belo- doesn't belong up here, there is no bleeping way they would look you in the eye and say that because they know, players know greatness, and those guys were great. And I'll tell you, my dad, my dad grew up, and he was, a, he was a Willie Mays guy. My dad loved Willie Mays. And we were watching a game, and this is in the – this is in the – early nineties, you know, before I, before I, I, I was a base, I told Kirk this, I was a big baseball fan growing up and I, they lost me in 94. That was one of the greatest seasons <laughs> ever. Matt Williams, 40 home runs, Juan Gonzalez, over hundred RBIs. The Montreal Expos were really good. Uh, it was a great start to the season. Tony Gwynn hitting over 400. And so I didn't go back, but we were watching a game and my, and, bon- and Bonds makes this great play. And my dad goes, you know, this is your generation's Willie Mays. 
He goes, very yeah. similar to Willie Mays. He could do everything that Willie could do. And in my, my dad was a baseball player. My dad loved the game. And so I took that as gospel. And when, when the Willie Mays of my generation doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, then it's a sham. He's got to yeah, be in there. I don't know how right. you get him in there. You shouldn't have to wait for the whatever they call him, the Veterans Committee now. He shouldn't have to wait for that. Because I see guys, yeah. Big Poppy, congratulations, great career. You can't carry Barry Bonds' jock trap. You can't. And, and, and remember, Big Poppy failed a steroid test. Oh, three. An anonymous yes. testing in, in 2000. He was a, the greatest postseason player ever. And he was this big, lovable guy. And after the marathon bombing, he said what we were all feeling. This is our bleeping down. And everybody loves him. And uh, I saw Britt Giroli of The Athletic tweeted something like, so if Barry Bonds had Big Poppy's personality, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. It's in my column. It's in my column. It is. That's the best question. Because Barry Bonds is a jerk. But guess what? So was Ty Cobb. And he was a <laughs> racist jerk. And they see, and so the character thing that is you're supposed to be a criteria. So if we're going to go through and start uh, applying the character clause to people, we're probably going to thin out the ranks quite a bit. And <laughs> it, 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 that's when you said Ty Cobb, that reminds me of that. Yeah. But that's always going to be there, isn't it? We saw it in pro football where the uh, editor of pro football weekly was saying he wouldn't vote for Aaron Rodgers MVP because he's a jerk. He, I'm not going to vote for him because he's a jerk. And there's a story about Ted Williams, you know, not, getting votes for MVP because he was surly. I mean, any – How about Jim Rice waiting 15 years to get in? Any credible writer and voter has to put their personal biases aside. You just have to. Eddie Murray's convinced that he didn't win multiple AL MVP awards because he was was not good with the press. And he told me that multiple times. And I was so thankful that he got in on the first ballot because I didn't want to have to go look look at that guy when he goes, see? I told you. Yeah. So, so I got two questions, Richard. One, have you voted for Barry and Roger in previous years? Yes, every year. I, I, I don't know every year, but I'm sure uh, – I don't know. In recent years, I've never not voted for them. Okay. And, then and, the, and that, that's the thing, you know, and, and, Rod, and they all their, – their vote totals went up as a new generation of writers right. um, uh, became – was able to see the big picture of it. And it also was able to just look at them and admire them for what they were. Right. And I wondered if, if it wasn't shortened to 10 years, if maybe their chances would have increased. Do you think they would have gotten in if they hadn't reduced the amount of years to 10? And do you think they will eventually get in by the today's committee or whatever it's called? Well, they were trending that way, but I just don't know. They ended up not sh- – I think Roger fell 39 votes short. I think I counted up. And, and they ended up not changing. Yeah, and they ended up not changing enough minds. Now, the second chance committees, they can, they'll be eligible as soon as next year. But I'm telling you, boys, there's some tough guys on those committees. And, uh, you know, Frank Robinson, I used to say to Frank Robinson, you know, Frank, you think that once you and Brooks got in, the door should have been locked. And he goes, <laughs> He didn't even argue with that because he, he was like, he was playfully <laughs> saying Mike Schmidt doesn't belong in the hall of fame. And <laughs> standing there and Kirchner goes, Frank, he won like 15 gold gloves. He hit 500 home runs. He might be the best third baseman of all time. And Frank 
They have, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just open the door and let everybody in. But <laughs> and that's what you're going to face. <clears throat> that's what you're going to face in the second chance committee. Do they get in? I don't know. I don't know. Older guys, I saw, yeah, some of them. But I saw Dan Shaughnessy wrote today. They're likely to get in because the voting thing has changed. But a guy in the athletic or ESPN said, barring a miracle, they're never getting in. Wow. I, I don't know. I don't think they can. I don't think they should be making any plans to go. So how much do you think it hurts Roger not getting that validation? I think, uh, you know, he won't even talk about it. He tweeted something last night. But if you try to talk to him about it, he just cuts it off. And I'm sure you've tried to talk to him about it. He doesn't want to hear about it. I think, you know, in the back of his mind, he's hurt because Roger understood that knew the history of the game. And he, as with Pete Rose, and he knew what that honor meant. And he, he surely has looked at the TV on Saturday afternoon, on a Sunday afternoon, and seen those guys up there, Mays and McCovey and Aaron. I mean, you want to be in that group. And I don't know that he's ever going to be in that group. So maybe he's compartmentalized it. I do all these good things. I do, I do this, X, Y, and Z. I have a good life, blah, blah, blah. But you know you want that honor. And worse yet, Richard, worse yet, he looks on that Hall of Fame roll and he sees dozens of guys that he knows juice. And they just they get <laughs> right. caught. And maybe they That's didn't right. get caught because they're just not as scrutinized as a Roger Clemens or a Barry Bonds. And I know, I mean, they made the decision to do what they did, but it's not their fault that other guys didn't get caught. And that's the worst part is that we're, we're guessing and we're, we're rewarding the guys that got away with it. And we're punishing the guys that got caught. And what Roger got, got caught because he was mentioned in the Mitchell report, uh, a former trainer accused him of using steroids. That's it. There's no positive test on Roger as far as I know. And um, I said that to me is pretty thin soup, but it, it, you know, and it's created such conflict among the Hall of Famers. You know, we put a number of guys in that were strongly connected to steroids in the rumor mill and all of that and the way their bodies looked and all that. And I've had Hall of Famers tell me there are guys that won't come back to Cooperstown as their own little personal protest of, of what has happened to the Hall of Fame. I and mean, it's created a heck of a mess. Well, you're right. I mean, there are guys like Pudge and Piazza and even Jeff Bagwell, who we both admired like crazy, you know, when he was in Houston. And it, it, it's just not a black and white issue. It, and it's, you know, we haven't even addressed the greenies and uppers that players took on a daily basis. I mean, those were as performance-enhancing a, 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 a commodity as steroids in some cases, were they not? Uh, well, I think they helped you recover from a hangover. I had uh, I had two stories about that. Lance Bergman took a greenie once in the minor leagues and swung it three three curveballs in the dirt and decided not to take another one. Another guy, Ray Miller, who man it was a pitching coach for the Orioles, managed the Orioles, managed the Twins. He he took greenies one time because they convinced him he was in the minor leagues. He never made the major leagues, I don't think. And he struck out the side in the first inning. He sits back in the dugout and goes. I am throwing the hell out of the ball. And the catcher looks at him and goes, Hey, buddy, you got nothing. They can't, they just haven't figured out that you can't throw. You're, you're throwing 70 miles an hour. He was gone the next inning. So, yeah, but it was, I mean, you asked Bagwell, um, do you use steroids? No, I didn't. You ever use amphetamines? Eh, I'd rather not talk about that. 
remember, I, I think they felt it, you know, and, and there was coffee pots with, without, all yeah. of that. I think players looked at that as just a way to recover from a night on the town. Well, and they talk about steroids. I can recover from injuries quicker. Andy Pettit said, said that, you know. That, that's right. And to me, Mark McGuire is the best example of that. Mark McGuire's career was over. You know, he had a foot injury he couldn't recover from. And I can, and I'm, look, I've never asked him about this. I know him pretty well, but I've never asked him about this. But I'm convinced he started using steroids. I think he actually said this to help him recover from a foot injury that was going to end his career. And, mm-hmm. and also, like in terms of him, He's one of the greatest people I've known, you know, and uh, revered by his teammates and all of that. And he's got this label now that, you know, I think he's doing fine. You know, he's in the game. He may manage someday, but um, this, I think it's a stain that's not deserved. Yeah, it's really sad. It really is. Well, we could talk about baseball all day, but we know you're multi-talented and you, you do a lot of stuff. You've been, <laughs> you've been writing about, about the Bevos. What's your take on Gary Patterson? My, my take is uh, the line I used was that in no world should Gary Patterson be an advisor, a special assistant to Steve <laughs> Sarkeesian, that, that Steve Sarkeesian should be fetching coffee and breakfast tacos for Gary <laughs> Patterson, hoping that he can clean up the mess. Look, Steve Sarkeesian's had a great offense. I mean, they've had a, they have a great recruiting class, and and they have this quarterback Ken U, Quinn Ewers coming in, who you know what you hear is he's a program changing player. I, you know, I don't. I will see how he does and all of that. Um, and and what Gary brings to the table, as you guys know, is what Texas needs. Gary's a tough guy. He will make you uncomfortable. He doesn't tolerate fools. He doesn't tolerate much of anybody at times. <laughs> and uh, and I think you need some of that because I don't think football – what you're asking these guys to do is play with pain and, and, and all of that. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a heck of a tough sport. And when you blow as many leads as Texas did, when you give up as many 200-yard rushing games, that's about toughness and will and resolve. And, you know, you guys know Dave Aranda at Baylor – after his first season, he said, I had to learn how to be a head coach. I didn't realize that being a head coach, it's really more about being a CEO. And it's about instilling that thing, culture. And it's about instilling toughness. And, and as Jimmy Johnson did, coaching the whole team. And we'll see if Steve is, is good at that. You know, you should succeed at Texas. I know it's been a dozen years. They finished higher the 19th one time in a dozen years. That's covering four head coaches. So obviously there's some problems there. But so, you know, I, and I don't really know what it is. You know, you, everybody speculates. But they brought in a smart guy. But the idea that Gary Patterson is going to be a step and fetch it for Steve Sarkeesian, that, uh, that doesn't sit well with some of them. Yeah, it won't fly. What, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you go, go back and look at the Rose Bowl. They lined up against a Big Ten team playing Big Ten football, and they kick their ass. And a Big, a, a big Ten Texas. defense with J.J. Watt on yep. it. That's, That's right. right. That's right. And, well, you sir. know, he's a very innovative guy. I don't know. So, I think the rule is he can't go on the field, right? Correct. He can. He, he has to be upstairs. He can do uh, the prep and, and scouting and game prep and all that. But uh, are we wondering but if Gary, he's the defensive Gary coordinator was, waiting? 
Right. But see, that's damning to Steve Sarkeesian. You pay this guy. How do you say his name? PK. You said PK. That's how you say it. You made made him the seventh highest paid assistant in the country. And now after five games, Brian Davis was writing, could be staff changes, could be this, could be that. Like, whoa, that's damning to the head coach. Because, you know, it gets back to Chris Del Conte. Maybe Patterson is here to save Chris Del Conte. But because what was the reason? What sold you on Steve Sarkis? You know, the the, the record is that the record as a head coach did not say that, say he deserved that. And when you see what's happened at South Carolina, the guy they hired, Shane Beamer, there were other coaches out there. And um, he needs, you know, at midseason, Chris Del Conte, who I like, um, tweeted or released a statement about all the players they had lost. I looked up all the recruits that had the attrition rate. I looked up, it was almost a precisely the same attrition rate as Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, I was going to do Alabama, but all those guys are in the NFL, so I didn't think <laughs> <I'd pass it. laughs> Smart, smart. They lose a lot of guys, but uh, <laughs> Nick Saban ushers them to their to their limo waiting. It's, uh, it's but he's had a great off season. He's a smart guy, but they every red flag that could be raised last season was raised. It's just there's just so many. And, and, you know, just one other thing: yeah. quarterback and can 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 co- mask a lot of problems. Yeah. And if you've got a great quarterback, you know, I think about it all those times. Remember when the Dolphins had Matt Dan Marino and not much else? They kept them in every game. So you have to have great play quarterback. Mac Brown wasn't very good, was above average, but he won 75-85 with those two guys, Vince Young and Colt McCoy quarterback. Go ahead, Seth. Dan Marino, uh, just a sideline. 17 seasons with the Dolphins, one 1,000-yard rush. That was it. This one. There you go. He was John Elway before Terrell Davis showed up in Denver, right? So, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, Sarkeesian's got, he's got a ton of challenges. You, 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 y'all haven't touched on it. Who wants to come to Austin? The weather's just – the winters are brutal here in Austin. <laughs> they, they, they're very strapped for funds. You know, and just there's just a lot of obstacles. Everybody hates you. It's just – you know, there's just a lot of issues behind the scenes, and Sark has to those, them all. So those TCU basketball fans were very out of bounds in some of the things they were yelling the other night. It was so <laughs> I could hear it clearly. <laughs> I mean, they were. I was like Christians. Oh, yeah, like you put, we need to take the C out of that. Oh my God! <laughs> stay, stay classy, TCU. <laughs> Little man Cunningham. I kept hearing that one. And F-U-T, <laughs> I kept hearing that one. <laughs> I heard that, yeah. That came through. I don't well, know hey, before so we let about. you go, we got a couple minutes left. Yeah. Uh, Houston Texans, dumpster fire. How do they fix it? Well, you know, they have two things to fix now. Always before, the fans lined up for tickets, and there was a long waiting list. The waiting list is gone. I have friends that finally get cleared the waiting list and didn't want the ticket. So when you see those gashes of empty seats, that's another whole problem. They have a new general manager who they've put him in charge. He made a made an interesting coaching hire in David Culley and then fired him. You know, David Culley got $22 million for one season of coaching. I don't know that that's efficiency. I assume he's going to hire one of his buddies from New England. But in fairness, he inherited a bad deal. Bill yeah. O'Brien left the, left the franchise in a bad spot. And the only way you get better is draft, draft, draft. And hopefully they can get draft picks for Deshaun Watson 
it's not looking that great because the owner of the Giants said today, no way. And the owner of the Dolphins has said, no way. So we'll see. But there, it's a mess. But if you just have good drafts and you hire the right head coach, and this is a big hire for him. But it's, it's insane. I know people right now that love this team. Love them more than the Astros, the Rockets, anything, the Aggies, anything. And they've stopped watching. Wow. Wow. Well, look at the Bengals. Like you mentioned earlier about a quarterback. Get the right quarterback and a star receiver yep. like DeMar Chase, and look what happened. Right. Everybody said, you know, they need to get a left tackle to protect this guy. And he does get hit too much. But they saw something like get the guy that he – get the receiver that he feels a magic with. Exactly. And watch them go play catch. Absolutely. So, and the Cowboys, they're pretty much fixed now. I mean, uh, well, that uh, McCarthy, I don't know. If, I guess McCarthy is still there. I'd check my watch and see. But uh, Sean Payton I thought, I thought they had a chance this year. I thought Me too. Yeah. that offense. But I didn't realize the offensive line was that bad, and they got exposed in that one playoff game. So, but they're fun. I mean, they're number one in the NFL in TV ratings. They're number one in – Offense, they are a cash cow. And Jerry Jones, to quote Jerry, he's still searching for that glory hole. He is yeah. <laughs> still searching for the glory hole. So I'm not touching that at all. So, so Richard, tell everybody where they can read you and find you on Twitter. So, yeah, TexasMonthly.com, pretty simple. And my Twitter <laughs> handle is real simple, Richard Just, one word. I even, you know, that's it. And you can find me there. Hey, Richard Justice is the man. He knows more baseball than anybody in the country, I tell you what, and a true, true friend. We just uh, – man, thanks for joining us for our little show here. And uh, hope we can do it again real soon. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, take care, Rich. Thank you, Senator. What a great podcast. Big thanks to Richard Justice all over MLB, all over the Texas Longhorns, all over NFL. Great time today, and we will do it again next week. That will do it for episode 247 of On Second Thought. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.